and you know you 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 cannot have relationship if you know folks are producers for you in the same way right and there's something about and nor can you be in relationship with people you're only producing for like how would we be in relationship when we've been structurally separated right like that's actually the question like we've been stratified and structurally separated and kind of never should meet and i think that that's at least part of it but we see that kind of classing out and structuring out at every level of an organization setting the room up in the way that isn't directly adversarial is really important but the amount of time i've had people giving and go oh no it's like a set it's like a therapy session oh, uh-huh. this is this is going to yeah. be like aa and and you know it's like a healing circle and sometimes it's just yeah. like, yep it is like if we didn't actually need to do some healing we none of us would be here we'd just be doing our jobs you're listening to find the outside the podcast i'm tuesday Ryanhart. i'm tim Mary. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about going deep in our work and why we go deep in our work and why that's important strategically. We're going to get there. But first, Tim, I want to know, how's your week been? It's been good. You know, it's been one of those weeks where like I'm kind of like toggling between like children and work. And then I seem to have stuff in the evenings this week, you know, (laughs) recording a podcast recording a podcast all i really want to do is sit down and watch the uh you know the the last few shows of occupied which is this netflix series i'm watching at the moment you know Mm, i've been watching the good place again dude Uh, i haven't seen the next season yet that show makes me laugh so much part of the reason i've been watching it is because season three actually starts on september 27th which is next week oh and so I've been binge watching it on Netflix as I'm doing, you know, some stuff on the couch, some work stuff on the couch. And I am loving it. Now, I have probably watched this and this is who I am, like just to name like I don't I things I love. I love to watch again. So this is probably my third time through wow. the series. Wow. And, um, and I just have it on in the background. Or I'm just doing things and I'm having so much fun watching it it's just great it's like it's fantastic to be like doing like you know stuff i'm doing tasks while i'm doing it uh and to have it on in the background but that is an amazing show i love everything about it i love everything about it it's not changing the world except um in the it way is. that it makes my heart happy except it, it is somehow my- I, I just think like so here's here's the uh, rather feeble okay. segue into our content for today um Ooh, all right let's try Do it, it. Which is that I, I actually think that it's one of those shows that you can either engage in on a really superficial level, right? You can actually just enjoy it, you know? But yeah. I also think there's layers of discourse and analysis and, uh, and yeah. uh, understandings of race and power and that are all playing out in that show. And one of the things I love about it is that, like, it does both, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, it like completely yeah. entertains. But there's layers and layers and layers of depth underneath it, I think, that... Um, add to the humor, you know? It's not slapstick, yeah. right? I mean, there's there's a lot going no, on. No, no, no. It's smart. It's smart humor. Mm-hmm. And I like the actors and I, I just think, I just love everything about it. It's been really fun. It's been really, and of course, you know, like the the arc is they're, they're becoming better, more ethical, more moral, more caring people, right? right? Like that's the arc of the show. Right. Is that they're, they're moving more into their real selves, Right. And, and you kind of like and you can't do that superficially. No. <laughs> right? No. Do you know what I mean? Like no. you no, just you can't, can't you can't do that in a superficial way, right? And if the arc of here we go, another segue in. If the arc mm-hmm. if the arc of our work, which you know, we keep saying this is towards greater equity, towards a society that serves all, that's not something that can be done superficially either. No. 
right? No. And uh, like it requires depth. It requires a depth of uh, analysis of ourselves. It requires a depth of analysis of the uh, power systems and the structures that surround us, right? It requires mm-hmm. an ability to be in deep relationship with each other. Um, that, that uh, you know, this, you, you, you can't coast if you're interested in big change. No. No, and you can't coast. And I think uh, sometimes we will um, we will understand that we can't coast, uh, and that the work's going to be hard, or that the uh, external structures like they need real change. But this kind of going when we talk about going to depth, part of it is really internal depth, right? Mm-hmm. Like going deep inside yourself um, and understanding yourself in this change and not just kind of the depth that needs to happen, the depth of change that needs to happen outside, but also the depth of change that needs to happen inside. Um, right. which is, I think why we always cringe. I mean, I, at least I, I will not speak for you, but why I always cringe. Um, and it's, it happens from nervousness and people have their anxieties, but when people say something like, Oh, are we going to be all kumbaya here? Right. Like that's, yeah. that's somehow shorthand for having it. Yeah. Uh, an experience that maybe feels nice or has us connecting. And I understand that you can be kumbaya and just like feel nice and that's not enough. Um, But it is like we have this real resistance to kind of vulnerability, um, at least initially. Most the amount of times do. I've had the the uh, chairs set up in a circle in a room, I've removed all the desks, you know, because I find it just reduces adversity bluntly, you know, like if we're actually mm-hmm. trying to get into a good conversation with each other, like pulling, you know, do, setting the room up in the way that isn't directly adversarial is really important. And um, and so, uh, but the amount of time I've had people giving and going, oh, no, it's like a set, it's like a therapy session. Oh, this, uh-huh. is, this is going to yep. be like AA, you, you know, what yep. I mean? you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and people will start sometimes, you know, when we'll go around the circle and introduce us, uh, you know, my name's Fred Bassett and, you know, <laughs> and like just making a joke out of it, you know? Yeah. And so, um, and, and, you know, it's like a healing circle and sometimes it's just yeah. like, yep, it is. Like if we didn't actually need to do some healing, we, none of us would be here. We'd just be doing our jobs, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. But like, I think there is it. I even remember when we did work, one of the first big pieces of work I ever did was with AB and AMRO, which was a really large international bank. And we used to have to have to send them the rune set up every month. And I was mm-hmm. working in there like two, two, two and a half years when I was in the Netherlands. And, uh, and it's, and I remember being 18 and they, you know, we'd always be like circular chairs, vase of flowers in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. and we'd get like a square of chairs, tables in the middle, flowers on, no flowers. And then we got flowers yeah. and then eventually the tables went and it was like a square of chairs. Then about like, I think it was 18 months in, we actually got a circle of chairs. And that's when I was like, <laughs> I was like things are changing, man. It's for real, you know? But uh, yeah, it's funny, hey? Like yeah. this, the, the, the resistance to death. What do you think that is? Um. Well, I mean, I think... I, I think we've been conditioned out of depth in our in a lot of our work, right? It's like it's the surprising workplace that allows depth and allows like the multiplicity of people to show up. You know, I think mm. I sometimes forget that because of the work we do. Uh, but, but I think, you know, like status quo in the workplace is kind of like not going to depth, doing work, uh, but not necessarily connecting with yourself or connecting with other people as you do it, but kind of getting it done. And so we've structured um, we've structured our professionalism 
right? To mm. not include vulnerability or authenticity or yearning or, you know, all of these other words or purpose or all of these other words that kind of connote more depth. I think that's been in some ways structured out of us. And the the general culture of professionalism is like that there's not a whole lot of room for that. That's why when people bring in leadership programs and leadership cohorts that bring a bit of depth, people are like on fire. Whoa. Like, oh. Exactly. Yeah. Whoa, we've never done this before. That's amazing. Changed my or, life. Yeah, yeah. Or highly resistant. Yes, both. Right. So both. let's, can we dig a little bit in here? And then I want to get, I actually want to get to the strategic side of depth, like why yeah. we think it's it, why yeah. we think depth is important to our ability to get results, right? I want to, yeah. I just want to bookmark that for us to talk about because, mm-hmm. th- because I think a lot of our work actually is positioning depth within our projects as an essential ingredient to outcomes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we do that really well. And I want to make sure we communicate some of that on the podcast. But I also I I just want to think like, well, where does this uh, exclusion of depth or emotion or uh, vulnerability come from within the cultures of our organizations and our communities and our projects and initiatives, you know, and there's a piece of me that defaults to patriarchy it's patriarchal yeah but that just feels like a that just feels like too much of an easy default do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so like so what 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 is that like what is it you know what's the what's the narrative that makes that permissible right in our workplaces that we because essentially what we're doing is that we're making it permissible to treat each other badly right right, right? i mean that's old fundamentally that's what's going on it's like i'm actually not going to acknowledge you as a human being i'm going to acknowledge you as a worker right? And all I'm interested in is whether you're going to deliver, right? right? And I'm not interested in any other parts of your life, you know? The fact you lost your dog last night or you're going through mm-hmm. uh, a period of depression or whatever it might be. Like we've just like exiled all of that from our workplace. Um, and what's the narrative? What's justified that, do you think? Well, I I know that you said patriarchy is the easy answer, but I do think, I mean, I do think there is, you know, kind of, oh my goodness, are we going to go for it? I mean, I do think there's go something actually pretty go. important about kind of like white supremacist, cap, white supremacist capitalistic patriarchy, like heteronormative patriarchy that says there are people who have wealth and there are people who generate wealth for other people. And right. you know, you, you, you cannot have relationship if, you know, folks are producers for you in the same way, right? And uh, there's something about, and nor can you be in relationship with people you're only producing for. Like there's some, at the mm. the way that we have, uh, my our friend Kelly McGowan talks about how would we be in relationship when we've been structurally separated, right? Like that's actually the question. Like we've been stratified and structurally separated and kind of never should meet. And so, and I think that that's at least part of it, right? There's like the, uh, that would be a gross overgeneralization, but we see that kind of classing out and structuring out at every level of an organization, right? Um, you know, there's, you know, we talk about frontline staff, middle managers, like senior leaders, like there's just, there are ways that we, um, there are people, you know, our friend Phil Cass talks about, it's the people at top who are the knowers, Right. They get mm-hmm. to know and influence and, and it's the people at the bottom who are doers, but they may never know what the people at the top know, right? They have a different set of knowledge. I'm certainly not suggesting they don't know things, but there's something about the the very way we've structured and uh, productivity and labor, I think, that right. works to keep us apart. And then, and then we just swallow it. We just swallow it. I mean, how often are people suspicious? I mean, just for example, 
How often are people suspicious of a new manager that they've never met before just because they're in management? Or yeah. how often are, right? Or how often Or somebody often are, who have worked with for a whole bunch of years who suddenly becomes a manager. Right. And then your relationship with them changes. I mean, we I deal with that a lot in some of the leadership development programs I do within government where people right. have stepped in have stepped up to the next level of leadership, but are struggling with the complete loss of relationship that that's entailing for them of people they've worked with sometimes for, for like years. 10, 15 years. Yeah. yeah. Or we hire people and the default is not to trust them. So we don't, mm-hmm. we hire them because we want you to do this job, but then we put in all of these things to make sure like you're doing like, you know, so it like, it, for me that just trust goes, certainly goes down as well, um, you know, in terms of like role. So, you know, we hire people, but then we feel like we have to like control them and manage them because we cannot possibly trust them, right, to do their job. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, it feels like it's rampant. It feels like one of those kind of, it's almost like the water we swim in, right? Mm. Uh, and so it's hard to even say like, what's exactly the start? Because we've been stratified in so many ways. Um, but I think the workplace, you know, and there's such a, a, a there has been again with kind of industrialism and um, right. there's been such a strong uh, separation of per home and profession, right? Like, you know, these are two different places, right? So, you know, I'll be one way here, but here, like this is a whole different kind of environment. So there's just, I feel like it's really deep. And so I think that's why it feels really radical to begin to bring in depth to the workplace. I think right. people want it. They're seeking it. They're always, it seems to me like when we do our work, that people are happy to have it. Like almost like it's like water in a desert. Um, but I don't know that we have much language to say that that's how it should be. Right. I've got, I've got like a couple of thoughts that are just like like rotating around my head. So one mm. is like, or again, this like, my standard take on this is that this is a lot to do with the mechanistic worldview that was involved in setting up our organizations that didn't understand the interconnectedness and interdependent nature of things. And we thought we could run our organizations like machines and therefore the actors within the machines were most efficient when you weren't engaging the emotions, the human side of them. So this was, it was about a drive towards efficiency within our organizations. You know, I mean, business process re-engineering was such a huge thing in the 90s yeah. you know, where you'd go and you're streamlining yeah. and all that kind of stuff so so th- th- there's something about that and then there's something in here for me that i just want to talk about a little bit before we get into the strategy piece because i think it's important which is you, you, know, you know you're describing um uh an organizational structure that not only is um that not only doesn't acknowledge people's humanity, but in many ways is fundamentally oppressive. Mm-hmm. Right? The kind of mm-hmm. top down, the way you're describing the top down structure of that is, is you know, it's, it's an oppressive structure, right? It's not, it's, yeah. it's not something that like set frees people atten- people's potential, you know, right. or right. unleashes them to do the best in the world or, or, or creates happiness or, and, you know, and I know there's enormous amount of literature out here in, in this, you know, and, uh, but I think it's important to understand a little bit, um, like what is it in the, in the realm, and I don't have the answer to this, but like I, I feel like I'm on a journey to figure this out. What is it in the realm of the ruling classes, those who hold power and wealth um, and influence within our society that um, a- allows uh, or justifies the perpetuation of these systems that are so unkind? Mm. 
right and so mm-hmm. i feel like and you mm-hmm. know we've talked about this i feel like there's a pretty like we're developing a consistent and powerful analysis of those in our societies and in our organizations that are being marginalized you know mm-hmm. and i feel mm-hmm. like you know and social justice and equity work uh, is incredible in that way to the point actually where it's become almost gone too far and become dogmatic, right? Not almost, but yes. Not, yeah, got become dogmatic. And we, yeah. that's a whole other, that's, that was bookmark that for a podcast, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, but, and I don't need the answer here, but I just think, I just think this inquiry into what is it in the ruling classes that allows the perpetuation of these systems that are so unkind and ultimately aren't a good fit anymore to right. the circumstances of the world we live in, which is right. basically out of control, information saturated, moving too quickly, increasingly diverse, you know, economically, socially, environmentally uncertain. There's no way within that that highly controlled organizations can adapt quick enough to the changing circumstances, marketplaces. I mean, it's all there. So th- there's something embedded in the in the in the psychology, in the mindset, in the approach of those who are wielding power that we actually need to understand and build compassion for if we're going to be able to move some of these significant systems right it's not enough just to be like that's wrong that's not ethical that's not kind that's not right you know and um and so i find myself deeply intrigued about that because if we aren't actually finding ways to engage with depth all the way up the hierarchy of our society right as well as all the way you know if we aren't able to go up up and down the vertical kind of axis of our society engaging with depth on all of those levels we're only doing a, a portion or percentage of the work 100 100% and so i i have a question now like so i think that's a podcast i think that's a podcast but i would be interested like when you say what is it in the psychology of the ruling class what is it that allows this i just do you have any idea? Like, I wouldn't know. I haven't, you know, I haven't spent time there. And I'm curious if you, and maybe today's not the day, but I'm curious. No, if well, you I, I can only speak from my own experience, right? And and that's what's so, um, like, I'm in the early stages of really digging into this for myself and my family and, like, the multi-generational inheritance I have of, like, behaviors and mindsets and beliefs and and uh, practices and, and financial structures. Like it's all just something I've inherited. So I'm in the process of pulling all that apart so I can understand it. Um, so I'm not at the point, I feel like, where I'm able to draw generalizations. Mm, okay. Right? But yeah. I, th- I, th- I think what I can do in my own life is point to the, uh, like, I mean... Oh, it's so hard not to fall into stereotype here, but like the stiff upper lip, right? Mm-hmm. The like, the like, uh, actually you're, you are uh, a successful leader if you don't show emotion, if you can plow through, if you can mm-hmm. make non-emotional judgment calls, you're successful, you know? And, uh, and, the, and the, that has been part of the programming I've received as a young man born into a relatively wealthy family from a very, very young age. That's programming I would have received from my dad, from my granddad, um, you know, all preparing me, you know, and this is very strong language, but all preparing yeah. me to, all preparing me to rule. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To lead, you know, that yeah. you actually can't lead effectively 
um, if you are uh, empathetically or emotionally engaged with people because it clouds your ability to make good judgment. Yeah. Right. And and that is and that is trained in all kinds of ways. Some like I've talked on previous podcasts where, you know, you're just kept busy from morning till evening. There's actually no space for emotional uh, yeah. conversation or, you know, yeah. um, uh, there's no kind of emotional conversation in the household. Mm-hmm. Right. So if everything's mm-hmm. polite, everything's fine. Right. Um, yeah. You know, my mum, she lost her mum at six years old. Right. My mum was in hospital with scarlet fever, came out of hospital. Her mum had died of breast cancer. Right. Oh. Um, she was informed at six years old that uh, her mum had died. Right. And then her grandfather never spoke about my grandfather. Her father never spoke about it again. Right. My mum didn't find out until she was over 40 where her where her mother was buried. Right. Oh, my like, goodness. Like that's the level of, and, you know, and, and that's just like one story. Of, yeah. 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 Of, um, uh, this kind of like just just kind of typifies like actually things just aren't you don't deal with things by being yeah. in a relationship you deal with things by being right. completely consummate and self-controlled but what that trains you to do is detach from your emotions that's right it trains that's you right. to you know and like and that's how you have to and you know what and if you're being trained to be a colonial administrator that's what you need to do because how else are you yeah. going to manage how else are you going right. to inverted commas manage the natives you know, right. And like, how are you going to deal with the level of hardship, you know, that uh, you're going to experience in, you know, in far flung places of the empire running things, if you haven't had a really solid training in being able to detach from your emotional response, right. either to the hardship of the situation, or the horrible things you're having to perpetrate. So I think it's absolutely embedded in the education and culture of our ruling classes. And I also think it's incredibly damaging. You know, yeah, I, I would say, um, that the majority of people who are coming from uh, uh, upper class situations are wounded by either the education they've been put through or the uh, inherited familial behaviors that, 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 that they're yeah. part of. Like we have generation after generation after generation of wounded leaders, you know, who have been trained to lead in a specific way. And that is why we're able to perpetuate these incredibly unkind, dysfunctional systems. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still figuring it out. And I, and I, and yeah. I can get a lot, I can get a lot more, I'm happy to get a lot more personal about it at some point on another podcast in like actually giving very specific experience of, you know, how, you know, that it was designed that way. The education yeah, I went through was designed that way. Like yeah. it was designed to separate children from their families so they would build a loyalty to an institution, right? The, the family right. loyalty was transferred to the institution. That was the school, then the empire or the army or the law firm or the justice system or whatever it be. Like it was a designed process to train the middle and upper classes to build a, to build the same kind of loyalty that you would normally have to a family, which is relational, to a mm-hmm institution which is a purely non-emotional transactional relationship right right anyway so i mean that you know you got me going but like uh, so i think that's that's my take on it at the moment what do you think here in that i feel like that's something that needs to be more and more illuminated right that idea that um the ruling class those in the ruling class um are impacted and um and and become wounded 
by being part of this oppressive system as well. And I mean, I would never argue that it's the same. I think there are different impacts. And But as as you were talking, I was like, I mean, I can just feel the corollary from folks who are more marginalized in that system, right? So if you are working with people, if you are in an oppressive system and you're a target of that system, like, of course, you're not bringing vulnerability to work, right? Like that's the system that's oppressing you. Like, you know, so, I mean, so I just, um, there's something about uh, the mechanisms are quite different, uh, but in some ways um, the impacts, a distance from yourself, a distance from emotions, a, a, a wounding happens across the oppressive system, right? Mm. Um, again, and you know, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, it's, um, it's not to say that the wounds are the same or, and I, I just don't believe in comparing in that way. I don't think that's useful. Um, but I think it's important to, to understand that the wounds are across the system. If we are all part of these oppressive sim- systems and the wounds are across the systems, what we know about trauma is of course, then people come to work guarded and, and anxious and, 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 um, and scared and wounded. And, and so like, yeah, that's, that's not a place where you just show up and like, oh yeah, here's my heart. Here's what I think deep in my, you know, my gut. Like that's nothing is set up for us to do that. Mm. And so, of course, we come in that way. Of course, that's, you know, not seen as the place. Right. And it's just fascinating to think about the the residential school system in Canada for indigenous people, Mm -hmm. which was set up Mm -hmm. to deprive an uh, indigenous people of their culture and their language was based upon the English boarding school system. Yeah. It is. It's incredible to think about that the European, uh, or at least the English workhouses, right, which was where uh, poor orphans were sent who got they didn't have families or their families couldn't look after them, were also set up in the Victorian ages around the British public school system. Yeah. Right. And so those yeah. systems, you know, they're there's a very similar DNA embedded yeah. on those That's two right. systems that are at very different vertical ends of the societal axis yes right yes but have that's right. uh, very similar uh, inflict very similar psychological wounds yeah. right i'm not saying the yeah. context isn't different i'm not saying the, the safety sure. nets aren't different um right uh, and, of course. and i think there is enormous uh shadow at both ends of that vertical axis yeah but yeah. uh but there's something in here that uh, I think actually is quite unifying that I actually that, that I think has the potential for us to be able to be in conversations of depth across class in yeah. a way that we often find quite difficult, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I think I told you this story once or I, on one of the podcasts. I told the story of doing these workshops with young people who were in the Balkans come, coming out coming out of the Balkans conflict and working with this facilitator out of the U.S. And, um, and we had all of these kids from multiple ethnicities, multiple different countries, all who had been sent by their parents really to protect their particular inset, you know, interest, to bring their piece of the puzzle. And, um, and so they were all in conflict with each other it, you know, all the time. And he, we ended up setting up the room and, uh, with, with families. And there was this whole kind of piece of theater we did with them, piece of interactive theater, where they went through an experience of war together you know, mm-hmm. of like building a house and a tra- troops coming. And, and, um, and it was, it was really, in, it was a very, very intense piece of kind of participatory theater work to do. But the outcoming, the outcome of the debrief was that every single kid in that room had lost a direct relative to the war, mm. right? Every single kid in that room um, had had horrific and traumatic experiences as a result of that war across the divides, 
you know, yeah. so that in that circumstance, there was a unifying, uh, there was something that happened in the room that was unifying because we had a shared experience of the impacts of war on our lives and our families, right? Yeah. And and uh, and maybe this is too far to push it, right? And and but like, you know, we're not going to lose anything by saying it and then learning, which is right. I, I right. actually I actually think there might be a unifying exp- uh, 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 conversation ar- around the impacts of colonialism across all of the different classes that exist in our societies. Mm. That the that the mm. impacts of colonialism are pervasive, they are destructive, and they are traumatic, no matter what level of society you're at, and and that. And if we can touch in at that level of depth with each other, I think there's mm-hmm. a different quality of action we can take together, right? Than uh, rather than it being a conversation of how do I wrestle power from you? Yeah, I just want to like pause for a moment. And thank you for sharing that. Like, thank mm-hmm. you for like going there and uh, bringing this because I don't think it's an easy thing to bring. I don't think it's easy to bring because I don't know that it's always welcome, right? It's not oh, always yeah. welcome to talk about um, what's happening. Uh, in the ruling class or, you know, the, the pain might be there. Um, and it feels like it's one of those places. It's one of those, we have so many projections about each other. Like as, as you were talking, I was also just thinking like, I mean, so it's kind of amazing that people show up and do good work and have work friendships and are chatty, even Mm -hmm. if it's on a surface level, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's kind of an amazing thing Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. we managed to do that. We're amazingly resilient people, you know, making relationships, however superficial across differences all the time all the right. time. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, that's just like, that's worth noting kind of the human capacity to be in relationship despite some of these wounds and uh, structural ways of keeping us apart. And I think it also is why our work does or can uh, feel threatening right? to go to depth, right? To go to depth and to do that uh, in a regular way. Um, is pretty shaken up the status quo. It's shaking up what we all know how to do. Big time, big time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so, so let's get into let's get into this depth thing a little more. Then, yeah. like, what, so we're talking about it as uh, you know, not just not just going to depth because what did you call it uh, before we got on the podcast like emotional oh I said yeah you know sometimes I mean and I've been in rooms where I'm just like why are we doing this like why like why why are we opening a vein it just feels a little bit like emotional masturbation to me there we go um we'll just put the e on this one just slap an e on it mark um but it's like almost like just doing it because there's some relief or release and catharsis or emotion Yeah. yeah and I just I personally have a real allergy to that. Like I'm all about catharsis and emotion if it's uh, for a reason or for a purpose. And I and for me, it's not just relief isn't enough of a purpose. Mm. Like because uh, actually that's because that's not what I'm hired to do. But also it just feels like it it gives um, an illusion of change or yeah. different which isn't real, right? Which isn't real. Just because you feel something doesn't mean anything's going to change. And so I'm interested on the other side. I mean, I do think depth is necessary for change, but I don't think depth is sufficient. And so when we just only focus on depth, only, I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe if you're in a therapist's office, but I think when I was a therapist, that wasn't even my point, right? That wasn't even actually my point. Um, So it's like, where do we get to on the other side of that depth? It's not... Uh, depth for depth's sake or depth for just for feeling something. It's actually depth to get 
work done because that deepening allows us to think differently, connect differently, feel differently, understand other options for being that actually makes the work better. Right. And it's about and it's about how do we make sure we're not perpetuating the status quo? Because if we don't fully understand the status quo, it's highly likely we're, we are perpetuating it, right? Because in situations of great stress, we're nearly always going to regress to what we know, right? And so I think there's something about like, actually, if we go for- if I'm we, just not sure I agree that if we don't fully understand the status quo, we'll recreate it. Because mm-hmm. that for me can get us into like an analysis paralysis forever. Like I think there's a lot- that we can know and understand and move from without kind of having a full understanding of something before we leave it. Yeah, but then equally, I think it's really dangerous to go in without building any kind of analysis, right? Without building any, Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? So there's probably something down the line there where like we have to be in these kind of conversations with each other over time, right? Yeah. But it's definitely not about like, uh, uh, you know, having the conversations, being like, all right, now we fully understand reality and we can understand the power dynamics between all the multiple but, classes and, right? Then but just, do you think then that's where course, people like, often start? Analysis paralysis, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, I think the thing is for us, right, is that you only get to figure all that out if you're working together. Like depth right. actually doesn't come through sitting down and having conversation. Depth actually arises, right. right, as a result of the circumstances that demand it. So we're not talking about going to depth because it's a nice important thing to do because there's a moral imperative right Right. we're actually talking about depth because we need to get results right we need to get outcomes and Mm -hmm. so it's like and if we don't uh if we don't have a deepening understanding of the circumstances we're in rather than having it solved if we don't build some kind of like deepening (laughs) understanding of the circumstances we're in yeah it is likely we're going to end up perpetuating the status quo Right. Absolutely. And and not only that, it's actually through the depth that we build the resilient enough relationships to survive the inevitable vicissitudes, ups and downs, yeah. collapses and overexcitements of doing this kind of work. Right. And yeah. that, because what happens is if our relationships are superficial, when when the shift hits the fan, right, um, everything falls apart, including our That's relationships. Right. But mm-hmm. actually, when things get really chaotic and uncertain and you've built deeper relationships, what happens is you turn to each other and you lean in and yeah. you stay together. And like that. That's yeah. when people really begin to start discovering something new in our work, I find, you know, is when things start going really awry or they start getting really exciting and accelerating and blowing out the water. And instead yeah. of everybody fragmenting, they turn in and lean in with each other, you know. And right. I think we've seen that again and again and again, all kinds of scale from starting the youth center down in Yarmouth to the public health system in Nova Scotia to the work we were doing um, around social justice and equity in the independent schools in the US. You know? Yeah. And I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. And I want to just like take a moment to pause here and say, I don't think depth looks the same for everyone. Right. Like I just think, um, because I think when we, uh, I mean, I trust my gut and I trust when it happens in a room and I trust when it's happening for a person, but I think it can look really different right? And like really different based on who you are and what your background is and what that looks like, you know, and and, and how you show up and personality. Um, Because I think, you know, I've been in places where depth has to mean a certain thing, right? Somebody has to cry or we didn't actually do it. Somebody has to, you know, like kind of open a a vein or that That's like an indicator of success. Good good program, good session. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so I just kind of want to push back that when we say depth, it doesn't necessarily look like the same thing in every room. No way. Right. You know, 
I mean, we've both been we've both been part of pieces of work where we're like, yeah, that was great. Fantastic. And people come at us and like, oh, my gosh, that changed my life. Yeah. Like you just don't know. Like you just don't know. Yeah. And so I try really hard not to like go be going for a certain amount of depth. Right. I try to ask the right questions. Right. right. I try to get people to look inward and to look to each other and trust that that will bring depth. Um, and, and, and I experience that over and over and over. It's not just like a, a flying leap of, of wishing. Um, but that I'm not driving to a certain, oh, depth looks like this. Right. right. For me, depth looks like we stay together, gets hard, we stay together, gets great, we stay together. Right. And, and folks, um, and, and it is sometimes an intangible just sense of like we've gone there, wherever there is, but it feels in service of something. And I think that that's what makes depth sustainable, that it's in service of something. You can have a great weekend and you can have an epiphany and you can have like, but if it's not in service of anything or if you don't actually do anything with it, then it just flitters away. Just flitters away. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it has the danger of being like super new agey, right? Of not actually being sounding yeah. like depth, but not actually being depth at all. Right. Because there's nothing that's mm-hmm. driving it. There's nothing that's like pulling it forward. Right. right? Yeah. I can get really confused. And I'm just going to own like I can get really confused in those rooms. And get really confused when there seems to be a high level of emotionality or depth. And I'm kind of like, what is happening here? What is driving it? Where are we going? Why are we doing this? Like, I can actually get quite confused and a little disorganized because I can't feel the thread or the thing that grounds it beyond simply having an experience, which that's not that's not a room I run. But but do you know what I mean? Like, I can actually like, yeah, what is it? Like when you say new agey and it's just like. You know, we've both mm-hmm. been in those rooms. Like, what's actually happening mm-hmm. here, and and for mm-hmm. what, and and in service of what? Yeah. Not that again, people get to have the experience they want to have, and I think that it's completely fine to have that kind of experience. It's just not what yeah. we run. And so, I just this positioning piece is important because I think I get this. I get asked this question a lot. Like, how do you position a more participatory approach? right? Which inevitably has depth involved in it because you're getting multiple different conflicting perspectives together to figure things out. So there's always, there's always uncomfort, right? And uncomfort often results in depth because you're having to learn something, right? Yeah. Right. And so it's like a, it's like, how do we, how do you actually position this approach within often the very hierarchical, traditional, conventional structures that you're working within, you know? And so, and so I think that's like, if, if we can, Let's see if we can wrap this up with a little bit of like some of the one-liners or the or the uh, uh, positioning phrases that we use for this type of approach that requires depth within often these quite conventional systems. Great. Okay, I'm gonna. I I'm not as good at one-liners as you are, but one of my favorites is relationships equal mm-hmm. results. And just like going on about like you cannot separate those two things, and people nod like they told they yeah. get it. They get it, uh, but it's a quick one. Yeah, well, you? I just think that I think um, uh, you know what do what do you want, right? Do you want a quick mm. do you want a quick result that res- that that doesn't actually make any significant change, you know, or do yeah. you want some kind of significant yeah. change? And so, a significant change, a requirement is is that we get to depth because that's the only way we discover the detour that gives us something new. So, I think there's a lot of stuff there right. around like, what's the result you want? Like, do you want something significant or do you not? And if you want something significant, if you want a a rewriting of how we fund, 
you know, or you want a redesign mm -hmm. of a sports system so it has greater access for all, you know, then we actually have to go to depth because if we don't, we just end up perpetuating what's going on. So I think there's, uh, I feel like we're often tying depth to outcomes for people. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think um, uh, in terms of like sometimes staying in it when it gets hard, um, there's something for me around the imperative to try something different, right? We've tried some of the ways without depth several, several times. Let's try something different, right? You, and and I think that that, again, reflects who we work with, but people don't come to us if they want to do what they've always done. They're at the end of that particular way of working. Like they, they understand that it's not bringing results. And so in some ways, it's almost like, so let's try something right. different. We haven't right. gone deep. We haven't tried to be together. So let's try something yeah, different. Exactly. If you want something new, if you want something new, you have to be prepared to get uncomfortable, right? And the uncomfort is a direct yeah. result of things going down to depth, things we don't know and we don't understand that we're beginning to learn and engage with each other. Right. If you don't want anything new, you don't need to use a particularly participatory approach. You can just go tell people what to do and keep yeah. on going. But if you, you know, like, what do you want? Do you want something yeah. new or do you want more of the old? And I think the other thing, Tim, and and maybe I know we should wrap up here, but I think the other thing I, I will often say is, um, you know, this is also about discernment. We're not saying participation everywhere mm -hmm. all the time mm -hmm. in every case, right? Like, it's like, let's be discerning. Let's, let's learn a new muscle or a new tool. Let's, you know what I mean? So it's something like you don't have to, in terms of positioning, it's like, this isn't going to be how your operation works in every way, every day at all the time, right? Like you're going to discern where this is needed and where it will be useful, right? I love that because we often talk about that. Like this isn't about dismissing everything you've been doing in the past. This is about adding right. something else to your tool belt that increases your chances of success, right? How do you yeah. engage people? How do you get to depth? Depth builds ownership, right? If people feel like they're being engaged yeah. in a, on a level of meaning for them, their quality of loyalty to the project, to the product, to the initiative, to the organization begins to change and go through the roof. The song. I got a song. I was going to say, do you have a tong? So, a song. I got a tong. A tong? Pete tong. A song? Um, <laughs> I'm going to go for a Frank Turner song, Be More Kind. It's, from, awesome. it's off his new album, Be More Kind. My mate Jonty sent me a picture of him in Prague pointing at a graffitied wall of the album cover saying Be More Kind on it, which I thought was gorgeous. History's been leaning on me lately. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful song and it speaks to these times and it speaks to... Uh, a need just to be more kind to each other across all the different parts of ourselves and parts of society. All the things I thought were true when I was young and you were too turned out to be broken and I don't know what comes next in a world It's a good one in line with our conversation today. Yeah. Frank Turner, be more kind, my friends, be more kind. Yeah. It made me cry the first time I heard mm. it. I think it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Okay. So I have the poem today. Oh, good. Right. And uh, this one is called Self-Portrait, and it's by David White, who we both oh, like yeah. a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't interest me if there is one God or many gods. I want to know if you belong or feel abandoned, if you know despair or can see it in others. I want to know if you are prepared to live in the world with its harsh need to change you. If you can look back with firm eyes saying, this is where I stand. I want to know if you know how to melt into that fierce heat of living, 
falling toward the center of your longing. I want to know if you are willing to live day by day with the consequence of love and the bitter unwanted passion of your sure defeat. I have heard in that fierce embrace, even the gods speak of God. Thank you, Tuesday. Yeah. Thank you, David White. Thanks, Tim. Good, good English Yorkshireman. That's it for this episode of Find the Outside the Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday. If you want to get in touch with us about something you've heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com. Don't forget to tell your friends. You can find links to any of the resources, poems, books, songs, anything we've mentioned during the show in the show notes or over at Find the Outside slash podcast or in the description of the podcast and the podcast app you're listening to. The song we played in today's show and every song we've ever played in previous shows on, are on this playlist on Spotify. <laughs> Just search for Find the Outside. You'll find it there. It's wicked. I love that playlist. This episode was edited and produced by Mark Coffin at Sound Good Studio. And the theme music for the Find the Outside podcast is by Bear- Gary Blakemore. He did the music and it's awesome. Thank you, Gary. No, this is a thought experiment. You are driving a trolley when the brakes fail. And on the track ahead of you are five workmen that you will run over. Now, you can steer to another track, but on that track is one person you would kill instead of the five. Do we know anything about the people? Like, is one of them an ex-boyfriend? Or that snooty girl from Rite Aid who was always silently judging my purchases? It's like, yeah, chicky, a baby Ruth and birth control. I see the irony. Keep a swipe and... You don't know any of the workers. Okay, well, then that's easy. I switch tracks. Kill one person instead of five. Or let's throw the trolley out altogether. Let's say you're a doctor and you can save five patients, but you have to kill one healthy person and use his organs to do it. But that's not the same thing. Why not? Well, obviously the dilemma is clear. How do you kill all six people? (laughs) 